Lots of options in life, aren't there? Lots of uh, hats that we can put on, lots of ideas that we can uh, uh, grab onto and believe, and sometimes we can get through the end of a week and uh, we've put on so many different shirts, if you will, that, that uh, we think, well, wait a minute, there's this other shirt that says Jesus. Did I, did I have that on? Did I, did I put that on this week? Hmm. It's a challenge, and it's one that, that Paul is challenging the, the church in, in Corinth. Last week, we, we started looking at this church, God's church, as Paul referred to it in chapter 1, a young church, only about three years old, but a church that is struggling to, to maintain their faith in Jesus Christ in the midst of a big, busy, bustling Greek city that, that, that has thousands of people that worship sex, materialism, and philosophy. Trying to be the church in that, and it, and it directly relates and applies to the world that we live in today. All of these different views and, and all of that. And, and we get an early indication, even in the first chapter, that this is a church that, that is divided. Paul says, I've heard that you guys are quarreling. And, and he talks about why that can happen, how that division happens. In fact, we saw that the divided church is due to a dependence on human wisdom and not God's wisdom. When we're using our own, our, our own thoughts and our own opinions and that sort of thing, it... it it divides us. We, we looked at that last week, how, how when we focus on individual people, individual people's thoughts and ideas, uh, that we can uh, be opposed to one another. And, and we also saw last week that focusing on Jesus is the only answer to how we live the best lives possible. Unified. In fact, that's who, Paul says at the end of chapter 1, that we boast of, our Lord Jesus Christ. And... Uh, you know, we see Paul continue this theme as we look at chapter 2. So if you would turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, and follow along as we read uh, different parts of chapter 2. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, look under a seat in front of you. There should be one there. Uh, so shortly after the birth of their second child, uh, a husband offered to take his wife shopping for a new dress. He endured, that's how shopping is for me, for sure. He endured uh, more than two hours of listening to her complaints about which figure flaw each dress accentuated as they were looking at all of these different dresses. And as she emerged from the dressing room, having tried on the last selection, she asked for her husband's opinion. And by this time, he had learned just the right thing to say. This is what he said. It's perfect. It makes your waist look smaller, your legs look longer, and slenderizes your hips. Just then, another lady in the dressing room spoke out, If there's a dress in here that will do that, I'll buy them all. I mean, seems like he was wise at the end, right? Though I think that might get him into trouble in the future, possibly, uh, no matter how persuasive he is. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians here. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When I came, Paul says to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except 
Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Paul, Paul continues to downplay the power and wisdom that we humans have. I mean, we, we get pretty confident in our own wisdom and our own understanding and our own ability to think. He, he said that he didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as he proclaimed the good news of the gospel. He didn't go to extraordinary lengths to persuade them. In uh, verse 3 right there, Paul says that he came with weakness and fear and trembling. And I think there's two reasons for that. Uh, I think on, on the one hand, Paul was uh, intentional so that the, the changes in his thinking and in his words that he said uh, to not rely on his own persuasiveness, uh, he, he wanted himself to be, to be weak and fearful and trembling before, before God in bringing this message. So that the people wouldn't see him, Paul, but they would see Jesus Christ in what he was saying. I think the, the second reason uh, that, that Paul mentions that he was weak and, and he came with fear and trembling is, is that he is entering into, uh, he, he is writing into a situation, and we know that he's been there before, that can be awfully tempting. There are a lot of temptations. Uh, walking up the street. It's, it's, it's like, uh, it would be like for us, you know, just indiscriminately browsing the, the, the internet or, or just even walking some of the streets in Las Vegas. There are so many things that we can see and uh, thoughts that we can have that, that Paul, recog Paul recognizes this. He knows that, that this is dangerous territory for himself and others. And if we lose our focus, if we lose our focus on what's important, if, if we focus on the wisdom of man, um, we're going to be changed in the wrong ways. So what is the wisdom of man that Paul is referring to? Um, our wisdom is based on many things, right? But, but those things are limited. But most in the secular world don't view them as limited, uh, I mean, we're finite for one thing, right? We have a beginning, we have an end. Uh, but we know God doesn't. He is infinite. He had no beginning. He has no end. We don't really understand that, although there are times, I think, where we, we sense what that really looks like and what that is. We are the creation. He is the creator. But oftentimes, we think that, well, we are the creators. I mean, we are the ones who conceive. We are the ones who choose which conceived children are going to live and die in our world today. That's up to us. I mean, it is, it's within our control. But truly, he is king and Lord, and we are his possession, his subjects and his servants. I was talking about that aspect with, uh, with someone that I've been meeting with uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and to just sort of see, see the understanding of this young man uh, about that word possession. You know, we kind of think um, being someone else's possession is a negative thing, but, 
But to know that we are God's possession, uh, a prized possession at that, is a great place to be. We are his subjects. We are his servants. He is a good, good father. He is a good, good king. Uh, the wisdom of man is based on human understanding. I mean, we, we understand a lot, mind you, and that understanding increases every day. We come up with new inventions, new technology, new ways to sort of manipulate life around us. But, you know, there, there are still species of animals we have not yet discovered. There are still expanses of this planet even, let alone the, the, the universe, that we have yet to investigate, have yet to see. There are problems that we can't serve. We will always fall short. And, and when it comes to uh, understanding an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, everywhere creator, we, are, we, we fall woefully short, don't we? I mean, we can't even come close to understanding him. We can't discover the things of God. We experience them. We, we see them when they are revealed to us by him, but only then do we actually see them. So if we try to communicate to other people what we think we have discovered all on our own without the power of the Holy Spirit's involvement, it will be woefully artificial. I mean, it will just be things that we observe. I mean, we don't create anything. Uh, God is the creator. He created all things out of nothing. We don't create anything out of nothing. Everything that we use to invent things, come up with ideas, come up with things, is a combination of things that God has already created. I, I mean, I, I, have not seen the, I have not seen the periodic table change as far as I know. And, and if there is a new element, I don't think it's going to be something that we created. It's going to be something that we just discover, that God already created. Uh, this basic human understanding, Mark Twain said, we should be careful to get out of an experience only the wisdom that is in it and stop there, okay? Think about this. Lest we be like the cat that sits down on a, sto on a hot stove lid. She will never sit down on a hot stove lid again, and that is well, but also she will never sit down on a cold one anymore either. We need to make sure that, that the wisdom we have is coming from God. Or else we, we will misapply it. In verse 2, Paul says that he resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is very important to us as we seek to share with our family and friends. Man's wisdom, as smart as we seem or think that we are, is based on a very limited human understanding. It is also based on verbiage and opinion. Uh, this wisdom, this human wisdom that we have, verbiage and opinion, I mean, it can be really divisive, right? I mean, we live in the midst of this today. One thing our world definitely does not lack today is an opinion, right? Everybody's got one. And, and not only does everybody have one, but we're all willing to just throw them all out there so everybody else knows the opinion that we have. And, and we think that they should hold the same opinion that we do. Again, it's an opinion. It's what you think. And, and if we are not focusing on Jesus Christ and God's wisdom, 
it's going to be human wisdom, and it's going to serve to divide us. I mean, we live in a divided country today, don't we? It's, it's human wisdom. It's human wisdom. Uh, let's see. Anybody watch 24-hour news? Hmm. Yeah, we do, right? It's really not news anymore. If you really think about it and you really watch it, it's opinion, isn't it? I mean, they, they, don't, they don't actually ask the people that are making these decisions and who are involved in whatever situation anymore. They bring in an expert, right? They bring in a retired general. They, they bring in somebody that was on the staff of a former president. They're not really trying to figure out what's actually going on. They're saying, this is what we think is going on. And we see that, and we watch that, and we think, well, that's what's going on. It's not. We, we, we jump to conclusions all day long. Um, I mean, the, inter- the internet is full of opinions. Even Wikipedia is based on opinions, right? Everybody can edit Wikipedia. You think you've got some truth that's not involved in this definition of whatever this thing is? Well, just change it. Make it what you want it to be. It's a type of knowledge that can be uh, described. It's a type of knowledge that can be described as wisdom, but it really is divided. And Though Paul was excellent at this, he tried to stay away from it human wisdom. Paul was a great thinker, but he wanted to rely on the power of God to change people's lives. And we can follow his example in our lives. And, and to me, that takes the pressure off. It should take the pressure off all of us. As we seek to follow Jesus and we, as we seek to walk with others and help them follow Jesus, Um, We're sharing experience. We're sharing our understanding of the wisdom of God, not just what I think. And and so it's really up to God to change people's hearts and people's minds, not mine, not yours. Uh, I I, I think it's, it's up to us to submit ourselves to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, he shapes and molds us and puts us in places where what he has taught us, the wisdom that he has given us, we are then able to spill that out into the lives of other people. And their, their hearts and minds are changed because he's changing it, not because I am. Human understanding, verbiage and opinion, and a third area of human wisdom is based on persuasion. Have you ever heard the statement, the power of persuasion? We are bombarded by persuasion every day. I mean, we also think, if I can just know enough facts and get my arguments in line and, and my deep thoughts, I could convince everyone or these people of such and such. I'm going in armed, and they're not going to sway me. I'm going to convince them. Projects at work, lawyers make a case. Here's why you should think this. Here's why you should doubt this. Facebook groups gather momentum and present opinions and verbiage to another group in the hopes of convincing them that they are right and that they are wrong. 
Our governmental systems are heavily based on the power of persuasion, aren't they? And it doesn't have to be the truth, right? Um, Paul is interacting with a people group. These are Greeks in Corinth who were very thoughtful. They were very deep. They were very philosophical and had been for centuries. They prided themselves on philosophical thinking. Parmenides, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Thales of Miletus, the Greek civilization was founded on these philosophers, men who you may come across to quote from them on a, on a weekly basis. Plato said this, who said I think therefore I am? Was that Plato? Some Greek philosopher, right? Wait a minute, what about, what about I was created by God, therefore I am? How about that one? I mean, the Greek civilization, their thinking and their human wisdom was and is still well known. Now, as as I was researching this, I I was looking up these guys' names, and do you know when they were alive? I I did not know this. 500 BC. The, 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 essentially, I don't know, that's really not a century that we would... The, the 5th century B.C., maybe? Or 6th or 4th, or I don't know. Anyway. And I thought about this, and I thought, well, that's 500 years before Jesus shows up on the earth. These thinkers are doing their philosophy. And, and Paul, um, Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth 50 years after Jesus was here. So, so you know this civilization is entrenched in their thinking and probably pretty prideful about it. And Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm not going I'm to use philosophy. And I'm, I'm fearful for this, but I know that the power of God is real and that he will change lives. And he's writing again to a church and a community that's based on licentiousness and Greek thought and worship. And I think, I think Corinth was a lot like America. Uh, the way Greeks persuaded people was similar to marketing today with the use of rhetoric and clever campaigns and, and sophisticated words and complexity and algorithms. Have you, ever, have you ever been thinking something or you have a conversation about something in your home and all of a sudden an ad for that thing pops up on your Facebook page? Right? And you think, you think, oh my gosh, uh, um, Alexa is eavesdropping on us. And Amazon knows what we're talking about in our home. I read an article about that last week. And that's really not what's happening. What is happening, though, is uh, these marketing companies know us so well that they know that a middle-aged family who just had their first baby is going to start be is going to start looking for certain things and and if you now i'm not saying nothing is connected to amazon as soon as you google something you're looking to buy something or you're curious about something as soon as you google that all of that other information that they know about you your age your where you live all of that is is funneled into this this is 
possibly what you might be looking to buy, and it shows up, and you go, whoa, that's how good they are. And it's all a matter of persuasion and marketing. And and you know what? As churches, we can fall into that. How can we market ourselves in our community? I mean, we want people to know about us, but we can't get so focused on, uh, you know, here's how a, a business organization would do this and forget about the fact that, that Paul is writing to the people in Corinth, the church in Corinth, and saying, hey, it's all about Jesus Christ. That's where the wisdom of, that's where the changes come from. We have to remember that. There's nothing wrong with complex marketing in the secular world, but Christ chose to come in simplicity, didn't he? He came in the most simple and humble way anyone could. Paul intentionally stays away from it as much as he can. He doesn't want the foundation of people's lives to be based on how good he was to persuade them or convince them that he was right. Human wisdom would have robbed the message of Jesus Christ of its power. Pastor John MacArthur was visiting with another pastor after a morning service, and this other pastor said this, and I quote, Do you see that man over there? He is one of my converts. And then he went on to explain, not the Lord's, but mine. Whoa, right? How can a pastor think that way? It's human thinking. It's human understanding. It's human persuasion. We need to be careful. And we also need to be careful that we don't use that as a crutch and as an excuse to say, well, I can't share with someone what Jesus has done in my life because I don't know enough things. It's not about what we know. It's about who we serve. It takes the pressure off. May we never think that we are that powerful. Look at verse 1 again. When Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Now, this I, Paul goes from saying we, meaning we the church, to I, and then in the next chapter he goes back to we again. And I think this is important. Uh, You know, we, first of all, like Paul, We all bring a testimony to the work of Jesus Christ in our life. No one can take that away from us. No one can say that's not true. Paul's saying, look, this happened to me. Jesus appeared before me on a road. Oh no, Paul, you were hallucinating. I mean, you could say that, but it doesn't change the fact that that actually occurred. I mean, how does it feel to know that you have been saved? How, how, how have you experienced life in those times where, where there was utter destruction around you, yet you had this sense of peace because you knew that you were in the arms of Jesus and he was going before you? As Christ followers, we have a real-life, day-to-day testimony of how our lives are being changed and changed and shaped and transformed by the Holy Spirit, and we share that with people. We understand that ourselves because of the power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Man's philosophical wisdom causes division just like we as individuals bring division. It, it brings a change in people that does not last, but the wisdom of God 
Now that's where real life and hope and truth and change happen. Only the message of God brings with it the power of God. Let's look at, uh, let's continue in the chapter. Verse 7. No, Paul says, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I I jumped ahead a little bit on that last point. Paul here is saying, when he says we, he's not talking about we as in the church that he's writing to. He's, he's speaking uh, about we as in we the apostles, we the disciples. Okay, so the wisdom of God, the, the Spirit helps us know the mystery, right? And, and we've heard this before, but the mystery that Paul's talking about isn't the mystery is something that we could never understand, but the mystery is something that God hid for a period of time to one day be revealed. And that mystery was salvation in Jesus Christ. And to know and, and, and have the mind of Christ. It's, it's to understand what God has freely given What is God freely given? Paul says, knowing the mind of Christ. Well, how then do we do that? How do we know we are receiving this wisdom and it's not the wisdom of man? What what does it look like? Here are three ways we receive the wisdom of God. First of all, God's wisdom is revealed by divine revelation. Divine revelation. We hold in our hands the culmination of divine revelation. What we have in our Bibles is because that's what God wanted us to have. Any knowledge that we have through him, what the Spirit of God has spoken to us as we look at a sunset or we experience life, that is knowledge that he is revealing to us. It's it's through his revelation to us. Now there's general revelation and there's there's special revelation. The general revelation is, as the Bible says, that that people know that God exists because of creation. We have man is without excuse because of the general creation, because because of what we see, because of how we observe, of what we observe in life. And then there's that special revelation. I think the disciples were, were the receipts of many times special revelation, and they wrote about it. They saw Jesus do things. He revealed to them certain things. He taught them. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God is revealing himself to us through the Bible, his word. In John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15, Jesus says this, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Even the disciples couldn't handle everything that Jesus had to teach them. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came. At salvation, when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and it's with that Holy Spirit in our life that we will experience the next two points in the message this morning. But right there, Jesus is saying, look, this stuff that's going to happen to you, it's spiritual. It's not philosophical. It's not humanistic. It's not because we're so good at understanding the things of God. It's all from him. It all comes from him, and that's who we need to go to when we are looking for understanding, asking, listening. We receive the wisdom of God because he reveals it to us. We also receive the wisdom of God because it's revealed by divine inspiration. I kind of of had trouble sorting out a couple of these, because they all seem to kind of run together, like colors in a watercolor painting. But see, the truth of God can't be discovered by us. We just can't comprehend it. We, we can't understand it. It can only be received. And, and it can only be received if it's first offered. And as we've seen here today, that's what Paul is saying. He, and, and Paul is talking about himself and the apostles. That's who the we and us are in this section. God's word is for all people, that is for sure, but it didn't come from all people. It came from the apostles, and it was given to them specifically. They received it. They alone were inspired. We don't receive inspiration in the same way that they did. There is no scripture today. There is no new scripture today. The mystery, which we know isn't something that can't be, the mystery, which we know, is something that can't be known just by us, but but must be given to us by God, at the right time was revealed. That mystery was, as I said before, salvation in Christ. And he points that out in in verse 8 right there. Paul says, if those in authority had known the mystery they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. They would have known that he is the Messiah. 
We have his words. He inspired writers to write these things for us to read and know. We only have it because he gave it. And what we have is enough. And what a gift it is, because just as he is willing to give it, we must be intentional at receiving it, right? (laughs) So a college professor shows up to a class, and he's going to teach them. He shows up at 8 o'clock, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. He knows that that he has this class period from 8 to 8.50 to teach the students that come. He comes prepared to impart to them knowledge. He is there to give it. But students are only going to learn if they not only show up, and they're there from 8 to 8.50, but they're awake and alert and intent on understanding what he's trying to teach them. That's kind of, I think that's kind of where we are in receiving the wisdom of God. God is willing to give it. He's intent on that. But we, we must be willing to receive it. And, and in intentional in, open, in, in making ourselves available for him, to help us to understand it. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. We have spiritual truth available to us right here. This didn't come by... This, this was put on on paper and parchment by human hands, but it was not thought up by human hands or human minds. And we have to remember that. I mean, we... Before you came to Christ, before you you surrendered your life to Him, maybe you were reading your Bible. Maybe you were reading a Bible. Maybe you read it multiple times, and, and every time you got finished, you... You put it down and went, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. But now what's it like when you read your Bible, having surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and having the Holy Spirit in you? You read things, maybe that you've read multiple times, and you go, I've never seen that before. Why? Because before, it was before you had the illumination of the Holy Spirit to to spiritually tell you what it means. That's godly wisdom. I mean, I want that. Don't you? And and that's the third way that he reveals his wisdom to us. It's through illumination. The, The man, look at verse 14, without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. We don't understand him. It's, why would you do that? Why on earth would you forgive somebody over and over and over and over again when they continue to hurt you? But in the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, when we do forgive them and forgive them and forgive them and forgive them, we understand and we experience what God wants us to, and that gives us wisdom, godly wisdom. Because human wisdom would say what? Fool me once, shame on me. No, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Is that how that goes? 
Okay, all right. It's not in here. I just... That's human wisdom. But when we operate in the, in the center, with Jesus at the center of our life in the power of the Holy Spirit, we do things differently. We think differently. We think spiritually. We have God's wisdom. It's the only way that we can accept things, the wisdom of God. I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus, in Jesus' day, they were highly trained. They knew the Old Testament front and backwards. But they missed the Messiah. Why? Well, I would say because they didn't have the illumination of the Holy Spirit yet, plus a whole bunch of other human prideful kinds of things, which we can still fall into. When we are in Christ, it's a different thing. So here's what I, I want you to take away from this. Knowing these things, certainly knowing that, that being centered on Christ and, and trusting the Holy Spirit to give us godly wisdom, that doesn't put us at a higher place than everybody sitting around us. That doesn't, that doesn't make us better than everyone else. Sometimes we can give that impression. It should challenge us and remind us that we are who we are and we know what we know because God. Because God. Remember from Easter, maybe you weren't here from Easter, but, but if someone to, were to ask you why, if you were to die today, would you be in heaven? And if your answer to that was yes, and they followed that up with why, and if the first thing that comes to your mind is because I, put, because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, while that's true, that's not the reason. That's not the number one reason. The number one reason is because God. Because God came after you. Because God searched you out. Because God called you. Because before the, before the creation of anything, God knew you by name. Because of God, because of the sacrifice Jesus made and the counselor that he sent after he ascended into heaven. Because God, before God revealed the mystery, we were reading and living in the dark. But we don't have to anymore. He is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We know him because God. May we not forget that. Not because we were so wise in our search for him. Not because we found him. But because God. And as we focus daily on Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen, we stay connected to the vine. And as we stay connected to the vine, he transforms us. He changes our minds. He changes our hearts. And he uses us in the lives of other people to do the same. And it changes our lives for the better, though sometimes it may not feel that way. Sometimes it's like, God, I'd really like this to be different. Could we not have to experience this? But as our lives are transformed, we literally then live as a daily testimony to the work of Christ in our life. Look, 
I think that if we center our minds and our hearts on Jesus Christ and we live for Him, as we do, we simply just need to live. Because as we do that, we are, we're going to have conversations with people. We're going to live with them, around them. They're going to see how good we are at following rules. They're going to seek Jesus in us. But not because, because we're so good, but because he's so good. It changes everything. It really does change everything. Father, thank you. Thank you for revealing the mystery to us. Thank you for sending Paul. Thank you for the, the, the enormous amounts of time and patience that you invested in the disciples. And Father, I pray that we would be as willing to learn and grow as the disciples were. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see that we are a part of your mission on this earth. Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow you in the midst of a culture that that wants to deny you and make right wrong and wrong right. And Lord, help us to not be prideful about the work that you're doing in our hearts, but help us to authentically submit to it and to grow in it and, and then that, that that would spill out into the lives of other people and that we would know that it's because of you, Jesus Christ, who we center our lives on. That's, that's how we are unified as a church. That's how we are unified as a family. That's how we... How we uh, proclaim the, the good news of the gospel in a, in a world that just seems to be running the other direction. And Father, now as we, as we go to communion, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Spirit, help us to remember. Help us to uh, connect with the significance of what Jesus did. It really happened. It's real history. In Jesus' name, amen.